Welcome to the Joy Factory Monthly, an inappropriately named podcast for the Joy Factory Project. On today's show, my guests and I will talk about why being a Hulk is probably the most confusingly miserable existence imaginable. Thanks for joining me on this adventure of virtual nerdery. I am your host, Sean Duke, proprietor of the Skiffing Fanny Show, professor of nerdly things, and sometime writer and TTRPG dork. If you're here, it means you fell down a magic well through a green door into some kind of alternate reality. Welcome. We have holiday-themed barbecue soda. And with me today is Alex Jennings, author of the upcoming The Ballad of Perilous Graves from Red Hook. Next year, buy it. Welcome to the show, Alex. Hi. hi how you doing? Thanks for having me. Well, this is all your fault. Because I was like, Alex, you want to come on the show? And you're like, yeah. I was like, great. What do you want to talk about? All the comic books. And I was like, okay, we can't talk about all of them. But we can talk <laughs> about one. And we're going to talk about the Immortal Hulk. And so I want to start with the big question, which is, why the Immortal Hulk for you? What What's the deal? Okay, so uh, I think part of the reason is my entire approach to speculative fiction. I love spec fic have since I was very small. But the thing that I love most about it is that the tropes and imagery can be used as metaphors for the human condition as it exists in reality. And I also found when I was beginning my career that the only way I could get people interested in reading my speculative fiction was that if I took those metaphors as far as I could um, to comment on the real world as much as possible. So the thing for me about the Hulk is that he's a, an elementally attractive character because he's so relatable. Like all of us understand what it's like to be good at something and be in control. And either because of our temper or any any number of things, we lose control at some point to a greater or lesser degree. And the Hulk represents the ultimate disaster scenario for that. It, it's very much a horror comic. Even back in its more superheroic days, it was still a horror comic. Peter David introduced the idea, I believe it was him, that um, Bruce was a survivor of serious abuse from his father and that that's part of the reason why his psyche fat fractured and he had this um, bizarre super sf version of dissociative identity disorder. And then Peter David also applied all of these real world psychological concepts and practices through the Hulk's therapy and treatment with uh, Doc Samson. And uh, I think that's when things really took off for me, especially because that was when I was first coming into my own as a comics reader um, I've been reading since I was four or five, but it was around that era that I got serious. And so that was the era, the era of Professor Hulk and all of the stuff with the uh, Bruce Banner's alters and the, the separation, the physical separation between he, him and the Hulk at one point. And I just loved it so much. So I don't know exactly what attracted me to this version of the Hulk. Like I had... I'd read Planet Hulk and I was I was okay with that. And I also read some of the 
Amadeus Cho Hulk, and that was that was okay too. But it didn't really like hit the joy button for me as much as as this version does. And just seeing seeing the Hulk lean into the horror aspects and go in a completely different direction that builds so so fully on everything that's gone before. I I just love it. I really do. I'm glad that you bring up that this is very much feeding into the horror side of of things because some of the imagery in this particular series of the Hulk is just straight out of what you would think of as like a horror tale, you know, horrific, monstrous creatures. You know, there's one point when the absorber guy, right. He, he like his body splits up because he's been taken over by this force and like his spine and, and skull are like hanging out of his body. It's a really grotesque image. Oh, but yeah. there's also other elements like what we might say is more mundane horror, right? The relationship between Bruce and his father shows up here and becomes this sort of haunting specter. And it's it's a pretty terrifying I, a concept, you know, even against the grotesque, right? The the way that he's treated by his father is is really terrifying. All that is very present visually. This is this is straight up a horror comic, and. I, I honestly wasn't expecting it, to be honest. <laughs> I, I came into this going like, oh, it's going to be Hulk smash. And then I was like, well, okay, all of that is out of my brain because the very first time we meet Hulk, he's like talking like a regular dude, kind of, you know, he's still got hulkiness to him, but he's not just going Hulk smash. He's having conversations. And so every expectation I had about what this comic was going to be like, based on my previous exposure to the Hulk via mostly the MCU just went out the door because this is not your MCU Hulk <laughs> at all. This is, this is the Hulk we'll probably never see in a, in a Marvel uh, live action film because it would have to be rated R. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I've said that about a lot of things that uh, Marvel has been doing lately. I never thought I would see, uh, the relationship between Wanda and Vision explored the way they have. Fair. I, I really didn't think I'd see Captain Marvel 2 on uh, the silver screen, or as it is the TV screen. It's fantastic. I think part of the reason this is so compelling is because it builds on that Peter David material where... Bruce isn't sure exactly what's going on. Some of the Hulks are smart. Some of the Hulks aren't. One of them is basically a child. In the most recent issue, I, I don't know if you if you got to that one, Joe Fixit explains his origin in such a simple and super compelling way. Uh, because like when Bruce is being abused by his dad, uh, sometimes as he was recovering, uh, he would watch old movies. And so, um, you know, some of them were gangster pictures. And, like, he created this idea of of adulthood where Joe Fixit is a guy who can defend himself and who is cunning and talks tough and can fight if he needs to. And that sort of took root in him. And so when... When all these things started happening later on, his his DID interacted with this completely comic booky idea of gamma radiation 
um, because he didn't just like get annihilated or get cancer and die. Like he became all of these other things. I also really like the way this series draws on the original sensibility of the Hulk. Um, because when you go back and, and look at the very first issue of his origin, it's very much a horror comic. Like he, he transforms at night. There's not the Hulk smash stuff. He's a monster who, who, who happens to be interested in protecting people and doesn't really want to hurt anyone unless he's pushed over the edge. I, of course, I relate to that quite a bit. Yeah, you make me think that in a lot of ways, the Hulk kind of begins as a nicer version of the Jekyll and Hyde story. Because I think that that idea that he doesn't necessarily want to hurt people, but, you know, when you have these different personalities, one which is arguably less complicated in his thought process, right? When you push that one to the edge, right, it becomes, becomes quote unquote, the monster. It becomes even more dangerous. And this one, it does show up again. And I think it's worth noting for folks, because I know that Marvel comics can be <laughs> an impenetrable wall for people who have not read comics. I think if you start with, with the first volume of Immortal Hulk, as long as you know what the Hulk is, the basic concept of the Hulk, you're good. Everything you need to know is kind of laid out in this comic. It's it's very well written without feeling like it's just retreading old old material. It feels very original. But I, I do really appreciate the effort that they go here to really explore what it actually means for the Hulk to exist and to exist in a world in which he is like an, a seemingly unstoppable force. And... Yeah. I love especially this idea that is thrown throughout, which is that the, I think the line is almost exactly as like the night is his time, uh, you know, <laughs> to the point where there's literally a moment when this uh, a, a guy actually tries to assassinate the Hulk and he's being yelled at by the general of like, no, no, stop. It's night, you idiot. <laughs> you won't kill him. <laughs> and all he does is piss off the Hulk. It's a really interesting concept to see played around with in it's very sort of werewolfy, but with without having, I think, that element of where a lot of werewolf narratives where the werewolves are kind of they're unstoppable monsters that you can't really reason with. This Hulk is acting purposefully. You know, right. he, he's he's been attacked and he's going to wreck you. You you shot at him. What What is wrong with you? You know, right. there's a grotesque moment when they chop him up into little bit, bitty pieces and put him in jars. And he just bides his time until he snaps his fingers and one of his severed hands and then opens it because it's it's night, you know, it's nighttime. Like it's his time. He's got all the power. So there's there's this great element throughout of the Hulk as not just the monster that we kind of come to think of the Hulk, but also this very feeling and complicated creature that is driven into terrible circumstances because of things being done to him. He's just trying to go off and do his stuff. Like, you know, like right. he just wants to go to a Sonic and get a cheeseburger. <laughs> well, to be fair, in this series, he does decide to tackle capitalism and corporatism. He does. And decides yeah. that he wants to end the world as it exists. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you are correct. You are correct that it does kind of get a little bit uh, dark. <laughs> But but there's like these biblical images throughout that I think that the question, I think around the middle of the series, right, where there's all these interesting titles about all these biblical and non-biblical versions of devils and angels and, you know, gods of destruction and so on. 
And I think what we're supposed to take from that is this idea of that the Hulk may represent a certain idea of a, a God that is capable of destruction. And perhaps the implication to that is that how you treat that entity determines the actions it's going to take. And it would be fair to say that the Hulk has been treated very poorly on a number of occasions, including being uh, shot from space by a giant UV radiation laser by by so-called friends. <laughs> and like that wasn't even the first time people turned on him horribly. Yeah. Uh, I think in the 60s or 70s was the first time that somebody separated Banner and the Hulk. Doctor Strange managed to separate them magically. And so the Hulk became this mindless creature capable only of destruction that was not reined in by Banner's identity inside him. And it was a mess. They they had to like send him to the the astral plane so that he wouldn't just wreck everything until they could combine him again with Banner. Also then there was that whole storyline where the Illuminati of the Marvel Universe decided to remove the Hulk from Earth and sent him uh, to an alien planet where he took over and that planet was destroyed and he came back to Earth very, very angry and smart and cunning as a, as a general. That was something else. There's a lot too about what I find really interesting here. I, I mean, I'm familiar with like Thunderbolt Ross and he does obviously make an appearance of a sort here. You know, the, there's this element that's going through a lot of this where they retread some of the different hulkified peoples right the mm-hmm. folks that have been exposed to gamma radiation and have had some inner version of themselves brought out so like sasquatch appears here from alpha flight uh, because alpha flight is in the the story and there are a couple of other figures that show up obviously thunderbolt ross has a pretty important role not just in the hulk in general but in this this particular story and I always find that really interesting that in a way, you know, the, the Hulk keeps doing this thing where he's like, I've always been inside you. I just like wasn't exposed to the light, basically. And that seems to be something that like the, this magical property of the gamma radiation does, which is it draws a monstrous version of something that's always in, in within you. Like Thunderbolt Ross is a giant jerk. He is just a real ass. And when he becomes Red Hulk, that... That's just like the extreme manifestation of who Thunderbolt Ross is. It's just taken to those extremes. The same happens with all the other Hulk figures. Um, In fact, the Hulk in this exploits one of the other, uh, one of the She-Hulks, right? Essentially by playing on her mind. I think it's interesting. And you mentioned that he comes back cunning because he knows exactly what to say to her to mess with her psychically. It's, it's very clever writing and it's also Makes you realize, like, the Hulk is is very much a foe that you got to be careful with. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Not because he'll, he'll smash you, which he will, but for other things. Like, he is capable of far more than I think people are willing to give him credit for. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that really interests me about this series is how it ties in to the overall cosmology of the Marvel Universe. Hmm. I don't know exactly where it was established, but I I certainly saw it in the Fantastic Four comics when the Thing died. But, like, the supreme being of the Marvel multiverse is Jack Kirby, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's known as the one above all. So there is a 
an opposite number there in the one below all that I'm not sure I've ever seen on screen in the Marvel comic. Like they they mention him a lot in in the Immortal Hulk, but he hasn't shown up directly yet. Like uh, the leader is pulling a lot of strings. In some ways, he's the big bad of the entire series, but the leader's the leader's identity has been mingled with that of Bruce's father and mm-hmm. this like ultimate evil one below all. And they've even shown um, like I, I don't know if you read the issue that takes place after the Marvel Universe, like after the heat death of the universe and everything, the Hulk, not the Bruce Banner Hulk, but the the devil Hulk makes it into the next universe. That's completely different from anything that we've seen and just starts wrecking things <laughs> because he's forever. I, I really, I really love that. Yeah. That one, the one below thing, I think it was, I mean, the very first time we go into that world right through the green door is a really alarming shift in the comic because it's it's I think it's like 10 or 12 issues where the comics hinting at there's this thing that's inside the Hulk, right, that's existing in there. And it is, I think you said, become mashed and mangled into his father, because that is, in a way, his ultimate terror. Um, the thing that really scares not only the Hulk, but also Bruce Banner. And when we first get exposed to the world in which it exists, this place below, right, there's just so much of this interesting interplay between religion and philosophy to try to explain what this world is without necessarily giving us a firm answer of what it is, which I absolutely love when a comic is just like, we're going to get we're going to get literary on you Uh, and it it is really fascinating, not least of all, because it raises a lot of interesting questions about there are versions of people there missing their eyes entirely. Are they the real, are they just manifestations of the real people? Are they cogs in this machine? The the first time we're exposed to this, it doesn't answer those questions, but the characters react, you know, some of them react as though they do believe that what they're seeing are the real people. And sometimes they don't. And it just seems to depend on the different characters. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting point. I kind of, whenever I encounter something like that, I take a sort of Schrodinger's cat view of it. And I, I feel like they are the real people, but they also aren't. They're both at the same time because of the way the Marvel multiverse functions they might be doubles from an identical universe, you know? But yeah, I uh, I also really like the characterization and the work that's being done with uh, Betty Ross. Yeah. It's become less and less the case nowadays, but a lot of the primary love interests in the very old comics have gotten short shrift and, and don't have a lot of personality or background to their character. And uh, for a long time, Betty was definitely one of those. But starting, well, I don't know if it started during the Peter David run, because I wasn't really reading the stuff before that. Mm. But she began to take on a lot of personality then. And there was a lot of exploration of what it means to love someone like Bruce Banner and what her relationship is with the Hulk. And uh, when they actually got married, that wasn't to Bruce. That was to Professor Hulk, 
neither of them knew it at the time, but that's a fascinating idea. And then there was a brief storyline where she was transformed into this harpy creature. And I never thought that was going to come back again. I never thought that was like, that was very soon before she died, I think, for the first time, because Betty was dead for many years. And there was a lot of psychologizing of Bruce based on that and his feelings of guilt. And uh, I always felt a little conflicted about that because I hate when love interests and especially femme characters are used to enrich the character of the main point of view. It, it flattens them and keeps them from being fully realized. You know, once Betty was taken out of the question and uh, out of the equation entirely, like I, I just didn't like that. They turned her into the Red She-Hulk for a while. Yep. And then that plot point early on in The Immortal Hulk, where she becomes basically a mix of the Harpy and Red She-Hulk, and like, ugh. and they do all this stuff with like, what is really her intelligence level? How well can she speak? What is the situation with uh, Jennifer Walters, the main She-Hulk as well? Ooh, it is really, it is really fascinating. And I, I really like that wrinkle of, well, she can speak, like she can reason with an adult mind. She just chooses not to because part of the nature of Hulkness is to be dissatisfied and disinterested in words. Mm. Well, I was, I was thinking particularly about this idea that you raise of, of, you know, that she can reason and talk, but she chooses not to. And, and that made me think a lot about, you know, we have various Hulkified characters in this appear, you know, some of them only briefly. And in her case, I wonder if an aspect of why she chooses not to talk is that in her life, she is surrounded by snakes. You know, she has her father who absolutely lies to her face multiple times in very serious and egregious ways to the point that it's even mentioned in the comic that she chooses she she chooses not to see her father on one of his three different lifelines because he he's died multiple times and the comic acknowledges that we may come back to what death means in this comic in a minute you know so i wonder if some aspect of like her her hulkified version does not speak because it does not take value in words precisely because words have in that character's life been used over and over to manipulate, to lie, to cajole, to do all of this stuff. And that also happens to regular Hulk, you know, Bruce Banner Hulk, that people have lied to Bruce Banner's face. You know, even even his friends, when he's captured by Alpha Flight in this comic, like, it's not their fault. They don't necessarily know that there's a secret government organization that's going to chop him into little pieces and use him as, as, you know, a Petri dish. But that's what happens to him. And so right. even when the good intentions of so-called friends people who don't hate you go into horrible directions like really you can't trust anybody you know and so she can't trust anybody either because the people that are in her life have lied to her i mean even bruce banner has you know he's alive and he doesn't tell her for for a long time even though she knows he's alive and she's understandably upset by that and so i i think that it'd be interesting as if folks are reading this comic and start thinking about all the different characters that have a a hulkified version of themselves to really think about like are they putting a lot of intentionality into the behaviors of those so like sasquatch i think you could make an argument that he is very much like 
a, a mirror image in some ways of of the person that they were uh, Lund, Lund, oh god i forgot his name whatever Lankowski. Lankowski, yeah kind of a mirror in that respect because sasquatch let's be honest he's pretty He's got he's got those nice fur like you could just see him putting little bows in his hair and stuff. You know, he 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 could definitely go red carpet riding. So, yeah, I, I just that's the thing I think is really interesting. I, I would really like to see more people kind of sit down and really think about what these versions tell us. Absolutely. And, and I love when the creators do that work. Yeah, I love what they've done with Doc Samson. They've been working on his character for a long time. Like at first he was a big green haired guy with a lightning bolt on his chest, but he became so much more over the years. Like his, his working to treat Bruce Banner and his disorder is just fascinating. And then like, he'll think that he's done it. He's made a breakthrough. And then it turns out that's not necessarily the case because he has a very limited understanding of Bruce Banner's strange psychology and that's before you even get to this like paranormal manifestation of this superpowered creature. Another thing that I really like about this series is the way it draws on not just the old Hulk comics, but even the television show. Ah, uh, yeah. Like there, there's a new version of Jack McGee who's a black woman and like she's she has this relationship with the Hulk that's so that's so passionate and tragic and difficult. And I, I don't know, like I can't really watch the old episodes of the Hulk anymore because I wanted so desperately for them to be something else when I was a kid. Hmm. Like that was, that was kind of in the early years of us seeing adaptations, live action of Marvel things. Like there had been, you know, Captain America and Spider-Man and I think even <laughs> Doctor Strange at one point. Yep, there's a Doctor Strange movie. <laughs> but they were all pretty bad. Oh, and yeah. uh, the Hulk TV show was very formulaic. And I, I was even disappointed that he was named David instead of Bruce, um, which apparently was like this homophobic thing at the executive level where – they felt that that was like Bruce was a gay name. And so they had to name him something else, really? which that's what I have read and heard. And I still can't believe it. It blows my mind. But okay. like Bill Bixby was an excellent Bruce Banner. He was, he was one of the very best. I think he and Mark Ruffalo are probably neck and neck. It's nice to see them, to see them finally get it right. Yeah, I agree. So like seeing, Movies like, for instance, The Death of the Incredible Hulk, after the series had gone off the air and they were just doing TV specials. And I remember seeing the Hulk fall out of a plane that was taking off and hit the runway and just die from his injuries. <laughs> it upset me so deeply because I'm like, <laughs> the Hulk could not die from that. What are these people doing? First, they put a bodybuilder in a fright wig, and now they're telling me he can die falling out of a plane that hasn't even reached full altitude yet. Yeah, these days that would not fly. <laughs> no, not yeah. at all. Not at all. One of the things you were bringing up, going back to Jackie, the reporter, which I thought was interesting because there's this moment, and I'm sure you caught this too, where she's talking to the Hulk. I think the second time she talks to his face, and she's trying to explain to him 
like the nature of rage and why she's not allowed to express it. Mm -hmm. And it made me think, and I don't know if it it seemed to me they were doing this, but they were because she's presented as an African-American woman. To me, it felt like they were trying to talk about like the way that a, that a, a, a black woman must behave to express herself uh, that she cannot express her rage, even though she has totally justified reasons to be pissed off, right? right. Horrible things have happened to her via the Hulk. And her, the thing that she says to the Hulk is, you know, nobody questions your your anger and rage, right? That you're allowed to express it. And the implication seems to be in part because he is, Bruce Banner is a white man who then becomes a giant green Hulk monster. And I, I don't know if you saw that, but it, it really stuck out to me as this really powerful, very brief moment in the story. And I really like when when you have that dose of sort of a sense of reality inserted into what is essentially a story about giant green muscled guys and, and horrible you know, spinal monsters and other kinds of things. Yeah, I think I think without anchors like that to the real world. I quickly lose interest in what's going on and it becomes completely unrelatable to me. They haven't done a whole lot with the race angle. As far as Jackie McGee, that moment was fascinating. And um, I don't know if you have gotten to the point where Jackie finds out that she is also gamma irradiated, the powers that she has springing from that. It's not tied to rage, it's it's tied to the aspect of her personality where she ferrets out information and looks for the truth so she can see with a sort of second sight what's really going on. And so she sees the spirits of the dead everywhere. She sees people who have died following the Hulk around. Like It's really fascinating, and I, I'm interested to see where they take that exactly. As far as that relationship between the Hulk and the real world. If I ever got a shot at the Hulk, that's the kind of thing that I would probably be very into. Like I like the character of Jackie McGee. I hope that when the toys go back in the box, like she's not forgotten or erased um, because there's, there's a lot that can be done with that character. Yeah. And I agree with you completely that I think part of what makes Marvel still my go-to for most of my superhero comics is that in a in not all cases but in most of them their comics try to ground themselves in a sense of a reality i mean obviously none of this stuff is real people shooting laser beams from their fists and stuff like that can't happen but to try to give that sense of like these are still people and in almost all circumstances they're mortal people who have similar feelings as you or I, right? You know, that are affected by things that are beyond their control. There's something about that that I find really fascinating because it does help me connect with something that is, it's helping me connect with something that is definitely well beyond anything I'm capable of by giving me a human angle, right? In a lot of ways, I think of Marvel characters as they're very human characters. It's like if you gave superpowers to a real person, Mm-hmm. what would happen. I mean, they're not perfectly laid out that way, but in a lot of cases they are. I think in this one, I I find Banner in in most of the characters here who are presented as being largely good people, I find them deeply sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Banner's in a rough spot. You know, what what has been done to him either by by accident or by other people, his efforts to control himself to to come to terms with what he is. I mean, he, he, even in this comic talks about like, he just wants to die. 
you know, multiple times. He just wants existence to end for him. But as the title suggests, the Immortal Hulk, right, that's not a thing that he necessarily can do. And I'm glad that that does is a thing that comes up in the MCU. There is that moment when he says he tried to kill himself and the guy just spit the bullet out. You know, mm-hmm. that, that you can't just end your existence. Like there's a tormentedness to that that is you can you can understand it even if it's outside of something you could possibly experience. Yeah, there was also before the Immortal Hulk started, I think this was around the around the time that um Amadeus Cho was the primary Hulk uh for a long time. Bruce actually made a deal with Hawkeye to kill him. If he if he was to Hulk out again, and uh, like there was, I think there was a whole trial and everything, and I'm not sure exactly when he rose from the dead, but that was like that was when all this Immortal Hulk stuff really began, and it was like I I was so interested in it, I was so interested to find out what was happening, how it would interact with the old comics, how it would do something new, and you know I think. My favorite aspect of that has been the transformations and the like the way his transformations have been different in this comic. I I just love it so much. In fact, um there was a recent issue where the the, the Hulk was being restrained, I think. There was no way for him to do the shrinking thing because the uh the manacles would shrink along with him. It was like this high-tech setup. But now he's doing this thing where Banner's body will crawl out of the Hulk somewhere and like leave it as an empty husk in this just a horrible way. <laughs> it's so fascinating. Oh, and you know, for the past several issues, and I'm talking like 10 issues or so, the Banner personality has been completely absent. He was dragged out of the Hulk by the one below all and taken to this crazy version of hell. And he's been trapped there and we don't even get any scenes with him there. We've just been looking at the fallout among his other personalities and even other people in the Marvel universe, like uh, the thing and uh, absorbing man and Titania. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they'll be doing with Bruce when he comes back on the scene from a, Joseph Campbell perspective, it's highly likely that he will return from the underworld with some sort of weapon that he can use to triumph. But I don't know when that's going to happen. I honestly thought that we would be back with him by now, like something would have happened. But not yeah, yet. not yet. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to to see. Like I like I told you before the you know I I'd not read Hulk comics. But here I am, you know, devouring them issue by issue, going mm-hmm. through the the preceding volumes that have been released. And I will just again say that the the uh, Immortal Hulk has been released in I don't know, like five or six individual volumes, Something somewhere like in, maybe seven or eight. Yeah, it's a it's a it's quite a few. We're just about ready for issue fifty. I, I think forty eight is the last one that came out, and so fifty is probably going to be the big. The rescue you where everybody gets uh bruce out of hell but yeah basically what we're saying is go go read this it's really good it's it's very very good well okay i think we 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 made it we did it absolutely yeah so 
Uh, folks, thanks for listening. If you have read this comic before and you want to let me know what you thought about it, please head on over to seanduke.net slash contact and send me an email, or you can tweet at me at seanduke on Twitter. Alex, as my wonderful guest, uh, if you'd be so kind, would you let folks know where to find you and maybe give us a little taster of what is the Ballad of Perilous Graves? Okay, so the Ballad of Perilous Graves is a sort of black exploitation Pippi Longstocking adventure. Uh, set in a version of New Orleans where music is a kind of magic. And so nine songs have escaped from Professor Longhair's magic piano. And my Pippi character and her friends have to find those songs and bring them home before the city starts to crumble. Um, The only problem with that is one of those songs is Stagger Lee, the baddest gangsterest gangster of all time. And he doesn't want to go back without a fight. That sounds really fun. Awesome. And it it does come out next year. So folks have got some some time. But if they want to follow along and keep track, where can they find you? Uh, AlexJennings.net is a good place to find me. Uh, You can also find me tweeting a lot of the time at Magic Negro. That's M-A-G-I-C-K Negro on Twitter. I write a lot of jokes, but I also talk about some serious things and some of my preoccupations as well. Perfect. Well, thank you, Alex. Again, this is a lot of fun. I'm really glad I got to talk to you about uh, the Hulk. And uh, I think we'll have to have you on again because uh, there's more comics to talk about. (laughs) Oh yeah. Anytime. I would love to get into what's going, what's been going on with the X-Men. I think that's in the future. Yeah. We'll have to make that happen. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. And make sure to check out Joy Factory Monthly on your favorite podcatcher. If you enjoy the show, five-star review on iTunes. And you can find me at patreon.com slash thejoyfactory if you want to support. And on that note, joyful transmission concluded. <laughs>